0: The B Rad podcast is brought to you by Mofo Male Optimization Formula with Organs to boost testosterone, Rad's Macadamia Masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, Chili Pad temperature controlled mattress systems inside tracker blood dna and fitness tracking data all in one and new optimal three nootropic supplements designed to improve focus memory and drive and check out the BradKerns.com shop page my personal selection of favorite products with great discounts for health fitness and peak performance
1: but i was watching women pick up what seemed like 500 pounds they were picking up 45-pound rubber bumper plates. I didn't know what a barbell even weighed. It could have weighed 100 pounds. I, for the first time, was scared. I mean, imagine you're training somebody for 13 different time domains or distances, but not just in running. You're doing it on a bike. You're doing it in rowers. You're doing it in swimming. You're doing any respiratory piece of, of equipment. You're modifying for that model. If I gave you a workout and it was, it was 20 by 400 meters, then you're not going to do it. But if I gave you a workout where it, it had variety in there and it was keeping you mentally engaged and you were checking the boxes as you were moving down, you do it.
0: It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Hey, this is going to be one of my favorite commercials because I get to introduce you to... The delicious, nutritious, life-changing Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. This is a mind-blowing nut butter blend that will soon ascend to your number one go-to snack, treat, or accoutrement for anything from dark chocolate, a cucumber celery smear, or mixed in with yogurt, oatmeal, cheesecake, or with a spoon right into your mouth, heading south. Let me, let me, let me tell you what I created in my kitchen through whirlwind experimentation, and extreme sampling to my vip product testing crew across the nation so far with a hundred percent approval in this beautiful jar we have macadamia nuts walnuts cashews the rare and precious coconut butter coconut flakes cacao nibs real ancient sea salt and organic mct oil every single ingredient has been sourced to origin to be the very best we could find from around the world for the absolute highest purity and nutritional value we run this product in small batches with a boutique family business in the Pacific Northwest, and everything is cold-pressed to preserve nutritional value. So if you like eating healthy, it's a dream come true for all those who are keto, primal, paleo, and vegan vegetarian, too. I come in peace, my global, healthy living friends. Masterpiece, that is. Try some now, and it will change your life. I promise. If you don't like it, send it back to me. I'll eat it. You can order brad's macadamia masterpiece on amazon simple simple or if you're bold daring and adventurous buy three and get a bottle free at bradventures.com buy six and we'll send you eight christmas shopping early instead of late at bradventures.com check it out brad's macadamia masterpiece Uh. Hey listeners, welcome to a very interesting and multifaceted conversation with Chris Hinshaw. He is an old-time counterpart on the pro triathlon circuit from back in the 80s. He had an outstanding career as an Ironman distance specialist, took second in the 1985 Hawaii Ironman World Championships. He won Ironman Brazil. And you're going to listen to a really interesting timeline of the progression of his athletic career his work career and his current uh, position as one of the leading crossfit coaches in the world he runs an operation called aerobiccapacity.com and we're going to talk on many different levels uh, i think listeners are going to get a lot of appreciation about his career track and the uh, turning point conversations he had with advisors and mentors that guided him to his path of doing what he loves to do today and that is coach athletes and he burst onto the scene in the CrossFit community around a decade ago because he brought a new dimension, a new perspective to the challenge of preparing for the CrossFit Games, which is one of the most incredible athletic competitions on earth, requiring a diversity of athletic skills, uh, the power, the explosiveness, all the things that is found in a typical CrossFit session, but also the tremendous endurance necessary to go through the challenges that they, they put on these athletes uh, rising to the highest level. So he gained notoriety because he was coaching uh, a few of the very best athletes in the world and then built this wonderful business called aerobiccapacity.com. You can learn all about it, uh, where he does programming with his mathematical background and uh, long expertise as not only an extreme endurance athlete, but coaching some of the world's leading uh, CrossFit athletes for many years and I think you're going to enjoy this. We're going to get a little sciencey and a little technical about the proper way to train and especially balance endurance conditioning with uh, explosive, with interval training and all those things and then also just the Uh, The interesting progression of his career, including a long detour where he got out of shape, his body was broken down, he was just a working man in Silicon Valley, and then reawakened to an entirely new perspective of fitness when he uh, got involved with CrossFit coming out of his uh, old-time endurance athlete realm. So Chris Hinshaw, very interesting guy. Uh, Let's give a little bio information here. He's the founder of aerobiccapacity.com. He's coached 32 CrossFit, Games champions. He did 10 Ironmans in his career on the circuit, including those wins in Brazil and second in Hawaii. Uh, he's now based in Tennessee and he has a great platform where you can uh, explore a variety of different programming if you happen to be a CrossFit enthusiast or a recreational athlete of any kind looking to broaden your fitness capabilities. Um, He has a wonderful algorithm. I'm sharing the link in the show notes where you can determine uh, your relative strengths and weaknesses in comparison to thousands of athletes that have been uh, put through this protocol of timing yourself in a 400 meter, which is a pretty explosive event, right? And then timing yourself in the mile, which is more endurance oriented, and then comparing and determining a ratio of attrition in the performance from your 400 meter fast running time to your mile more pacing time. Uh, We talk about that at the very end of the show, uh, but I got confused trying to calculate it myself. So I said, hey man, send me the Google Doc, I want my listeners to be able to plug in easily. So just to give you a little background, and we did a little calculation uh, at the very end of the show where I put up my current uh, capabilities in the 400 in the mile and got embarrassed uh, in front of the whole audience here that I was extremely deficient with a 28 per- <laughs> 28.7% attrition rate from my 400 time, which is looking pretty strong right now, but my mile time, oh my gosh, I better go out there and perform some more uh, endurance workouts to get faster at the mile because I doubt I could break six minutes in the mile. And when you put around a 60 second quarter up with a six minute mile, uh, it shows in my case, a a deficiency in the aerobic capacity. So, so we have a nice breezy conversation. That's easy to follow. I think you'll get a lot of insight and inspiration out of the show and also some interesting uh, technical commentary if you want to get serious and really uh, work on your weaknesses and improve them. Chris Hinshaw, here we go. Chris Hinshaw, I am so excited to catch up with you. Uh, You became a legend back in 1985 and you you continue to be legendary, man. You're doing some incredible things. over at aerobic capacity. It's this whole enterprise, this whole world you've created. Um, but we're going we're to get through everything. But first, the most eye-popping, mind-boggling uh, glance that I've seen on social media in a long time are these numbers you put up. So you're oh. running a 60-second quarter. You're running a sub-five-minute mile and a 17 ten in the 5K. That's, that's yeah. an astonishing range. And uh, I just want to hear... How does a human do that? And at what age were you running these things? So that was less than five, about five years ago, I would say.
1: Um, I'm probably now in the 535 range. I'm 58 years old. Um, My speed continues to be my issue, um, obviously, because I'm aging. But, you know, it's funny that during COVID, uh, I started back running again and, and uh, I ended up getting a pair of these, these shoes from Adidas. And, you know, I mean, you've been around a long time. We've seen a lot of and heard a lot of hype about products and how amazing things are. And here they were the same thing and, you know, talking about this latest and greatest. And even though the shoe had just set a world record for women's half marathon, they sent me some and, and just wanted to test them. But it had a very high platform. Uh, like a hookah, like a forty millimeter platform, and I'm like, ah, and they were pink. And matter of fact, I, you know, I, I have them right. Hold on,
0: if you're watching on YouTube, people, he's gonna he's gonna bust out a pink shoe. So this shoe. Yes, it is very pink. If you're just listening, and it's got a giant uh, platform on there, it looks like a, a cloud shoe.
1: Yep, like a so it's a forty millimeter platform. And you can see their their buzzword was, is that they have these carbon fiber rods. So you can see them in the, in the shoe there because it's somewhat worn. And so anyway, my wife, she's like, you know what? You got to go out. You got to test it. You got to. So I did a five mile run and I've never had a product that made me want to do an 800 for time. And um, in the middle of COVID, I ran an 800 for time and I had been against the clock in a long time. And I ran a, a, a 241. which, you know, not bad just at the end of five miles. And so then I went back and I looked at Masters Track and Field and I found out at 60 years old, 5.16 gets you on the podium. And I'm like, for the mile, and I'm like, no, I weigh 165. If I got down to my old race weight, I think that that can actually get me there. And so, yeah, I've had a little bit of motivation through COVID.
0: Oh, it's so nice to be able to go on the internet and see these actual people of our own age group and become so incredibly inspired that, you know, the the people out there, especially pushing the, uh, pushing the limits. One guy I like watching on YouTube is Charles Alley at age 70. He busted 60 in the quarter. And you're like, look, the guy's 70. I mean, how do you do that? And uh, these guys work out hard. They, they're very dedicated and it's super inspiring.
1: I just don't know. Honestly, I don't know how you stay healthy. I mean, I, I don't want to make a commitment to do it just because as soon as I do that, my body's just too fragile these days. And, and, you know, as you, as you age and you get hurt, you don't just like sleep it off and you're better the next day. It's like six months later, you still have the same nagging problem.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to hear you saying that. Cause I, I feel like, you know, diminished that I, I can't get over these things and there's all these Nagging aches and pains. And I do want to ask you about making the proper concessions to aging. My favorite example is, you know, my my hamstring glute injury keeps acting up whenever I, I do something. I remember watching my son uh, race in middle school, and he was running the four by one and he pulled up lame in the middle of the meet. And he, you know, he, he tore a hamstring. I'm like, oh crap, this is going to affect his basketball season, the track season's yeah. history. And then yep. like four yep. days later, he said he felt okay to go to basketball practice. I'm like, your leg okay, are you sure? Are you sure? And he didn't remember which side hamstring muscle that he pulled. <laughs> I'm like, okay, That's I amazing. guess that means you're okay. So um, that- here, here we are in the upper age groups and, you know, what kind of concessions, should we make? And should we even be doing this crazy stuff? Uh, There's got to be a a proper way to do it. But um, what do you think about all that?
1: I just don't know how masters athletes make commitments on their fitness because it's so unpredictable. (laughs) I mean, we we know the right things to do. We know what our body needs to, to maximize our adaptation. But it just doesn't work like it used to. And that's, I think the biggest problem is that on paper, you should be able to do it mentally. You should be able to do it. Um, And then for some reason, you're just not able to. And, and, you know, there's a lot of bummers with getting older and, and not being able to do something that you used to be able to do Mm. just because of age is, it's frustrating, and, and I find myself, as I get older, not wanting to take as much fitness risk. Like hmm. back in, you know, in the day, you know on a road bike coming down a mountain pass, it wasn't uncommon to feel your bike kind of slide in the turn. And <laughs> back on those days, and I'm, I, there's no way. I am never, ever going to go that fast on a bike again. Those days are gone,
0: because I just don't feel like taking that risk. Well, boy, I think that's a, a great sign of maturity. Nothing nothing wrong with that. And um, even reflecting on the risks that we took, especially with biking, um, I don't recommend it to anybody now. At least we didn't have mobile devices when we were out there on the roads. But now it seems like the most extraordinarily dangerous sport that most yeah. people discount. And um, they're out there pedaling every day and there's an accident every day. Don't you agree?
1: It has got... I mean, I'm in Tennessee and... It's not like it was in California, where you have you know bike lanes, and mm. I mean this is share the road, and uh, it, I I think it's just it's incredibly dangerous. Like when I ride, it's it's mountain biking now. I I need mm. to just not look over my shoulder nonstop. I know, I think about often Ironman Kona, and we would go over there in the early '80s um, along the uh, the Queen K Highway, and this was back before it was paved. Uh, there was no bike lane. You shared the road for the entire 112 miles. And it was rare that when you got past Kona village, that you would see many cars certainly (sighs) going, um, from Kauai high up to Avi. It was rare. I mean, I remember I broke the pedal off of a crank once and I sat on the side of the road, just waiting for a car for almost a half an hour. Now it's just a nonstop stream and, and, uh, I mean, it's a good thing that bike lanes there, but yeah, road, road riding is different.
0: Uh, We got a public service announcement out of the way. And when everyone asks me for advice about what kind of bike should I get? I say a mountain bike. They go, no, no, no. I meant between. I'm like, that's, that's my answer, pal. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, But back to that, those workouts and and the concessions to aging, another challenge I have, and I wonder if you can uh, comment on this is when I'm out there. And the day's right, and I feel good, and I'm at the track, and I'm I'm pumped up, and I want to perfect my high jump technique. And so I take 24 full-speed approaches instead of eight like the elites recommend as your maximum. Uh, but right then in the moment, I feel fine. There's no aches and pains, and there's no twinges. But then over the next 24, 48, 72 hours, I realize, gee, I, there I go. I overdid it again, even though I wasn't aware <laughs> at the time.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I find myself the same way. It's like I, I'm I'm easily talked into. Hey, come on, Hinch, just jump in with us. And I always regret it, but not in the moment. You know, I, I've, you know, it's I love fitness. I like working out. I like being healthy. I and I love the fact that I can do many things at 58 years old with, you know, 20 something kids. And, and be able to hang with them that is and 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 hurt them at, on, on occasion and that's that's very satisfying but the thing that i worry about um in terms of health is i think that the the just the sheer magnitude of volume that we did and this constant suppression of pain um and the body adapted to to not being as sensitive as it used to be and I find myself not being able to feel things until it's catastrophic. And that, I, I, it really, that dwells on me a lot. I mean, I've, I've, I've had what I felt like was a stomach ache. And next thing you know, it's like my, somehow my intestines were twisted and I had to go to the hospital. But, and they're like, how long has this been? And it's like, I have no idea. I, I it's all of a sudden it's last minute and you know it it's a good thing you were here because this would have been really bad for you and yeah i worry about that as i get older because we've we have conditioned ourselves to ignore those things and our body of course adapted to it and now you don't get that just magically come back you somehow have to develop a, an internal sense of of, of you know, that is real and don't just shrug it off.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that resilience and that incredible devotion to pushing past the boundaries can often become a weakness. And I know everyone's on the continuum somewhere and a lot of people deserve to get off their ass and experience a bit of uh, lactate burn or or whatever that it's completely unfamiliar. uh, But definitely that, uh, that, that, that far end, that tipping point where, You've you've done it so many times to yourself that now you're like you know a machine. As mm-hmm. Machines break down too sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever think about that? You know, as far as oh, your volume all the time. and your
1: sensitivity. Yeah, right, yeah, right.
0: And yep. you're relating the story. I tell my podcast listeners a lot. They probably remember where um, I laid in bed with a ruptured appendix for about twelve hours. Because I had already been to the hospital and they sent me home. They didn't know what it was. And I'm like, I don't want to go back again and be that, be that wuss that, you know, keeps showing up. And so, you know, I, I could have laid there and died if I wasn't more sensible um, but it was ridiculous to, you know, t- to have, I mean, when I was in the hospital, the nurse asked me, what's your pain level on a scale of one to 10? I said, well, honestly, it's a 10. She goes, no, no, honey, a 10 is when your arm's falling off and you're dragging it through the through the ER and there's blood <laughs> dripping on the floor. And I'm like, okay, well then it's a nine, but you know, they didn't right. realize my pain threshold was pretty high. So if I said 10 out of 10 and here's our second public service announcement of the show is that if, if you are 10 out of 10 on the pain threshold, don't go home stay in the hospital and ask for more tests or, or or something yeah
1: yep i was the same boat i was i i ultimately got diagnosed with viral meningitis and i Oof. went into the er just because i was so in so much pain um like my eyes were blurry i was throwing up but then they shoot you throw full of Demerol, mm. and i'm like hmm I'm okay, (laughs) and I went home and I gardened, and you know, and unfortunately, I, you know, and you know, when 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 I finally just couldn't even budge, I ended up checking into the hospital, and I stayed there for seven days. Oh my goodness! Right, but that's that's the kind of concern. Like you just shake off a burst appendix, you just shake off viral meningitis. It's like it's just another hill climb, and that is not. The way it works. No bueno. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Take care
0: of yourself, people. Yep. Uh, so we have a, uh, we have a timeline to work through and we're going to have to start at this, uh, this bursting onto the scene at the Hawaii Ironman. You got plenty of camera time there, even though Tinley stole some of it, but you were really young and, uh, let's see, this was 85. You took second place in the world championships and then that launched a pro career. And I'd love for you to just, take us back to that time. I know you're a big swimmer and that's how you came into the sport. And then the incredible transition over into the CrossFit community, which seems like kind of a disparate route, but you mm-hmm. you brought in, um, that those themes and that importance of aerobic conditioning into a world that maybe w- was, you know, not respecting it enough and, and was ready for something new. All right, yes. here we go. Turn it over to Chris Hinshaw people. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the '80s was an interesting uh, time for me. Um, I grew up in a, in a very competitive household, and it was a given you were going to go to college. And I had swam all through high school, played water polo. Um, I don't know if they still do letters, but you know, I, I however many of those stars and letters that you picked up. It's like every sport I had one, um, and. I ended up getting into the sport of triathlons. I saw it on TV. And for me, I was a skinny kid. I was very late in developing. I wasn't that great in sports and not nearly as good as my brother and my two sisters and my dad, um, who all did Ironman as well. And I, I remember watching that with my dad. And I thought to myself, if I could do that, if I could finish, that I will have accomplished something athletic. And no one would ever be able to take it away from me. It was a big deal. And um, back then, you could just sign up and enter. So this was uh, the first time I did Kona was in October of 1982. And um, I had some reasonable success. I didn't train a whole lot. I was swimming uh, pretty much full-time, about 50,000 meters a week and not riding and not running. But I finished in under 12 hours, which was respectable for an 18-year-old kid.
0: Oh my gosh! I I don't know how many eighteen year olds have ever finished the thing. That that's incredibly young, really. Well, I mean, we had I it was a very
1: supportive family. Um, I did it with my older sister, and I was also then I went off to school at Cal Poly at San Luis Obispo. Fine, I'm a fine, I'm a numbers guy. Uh, math is really something that I enjoy, um, and so that kind of set uh, a, a trajectory for me. I I, I really found myself. Enjoying doing three different sports. I never mm. really enjoyed swimming, just that grind. <laughs> imagine but, that. But I people. was good at it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So boring. Um, people always tell me it's like Ironman must have been boring. And it's not that way. It's an incremental adaptation where mm-hmm. it just, you know, next thing you know, it's like a 100 mile bike ride isn't that bad. Riding down the coast of California, it's not that bad. Um, so, I ended up having some success in the sport while going to college. Um, because I was a finance major, I wrote uh, all of my contracts when I was a professional, and that was kind of cool. Um, it was all about, I realized, you know, going to school about value propositions and competitive advantages. And I went to sponsors and said, I don't want any money. I'll support and wear your product. But if I perform, then I want to get compensated. And the deals that I struck were based upon TV time, local, national, and international TV time. And back then it was videotapes. And what I learned right away is that I will always be on TV if I get out of the water first.
0: <laughs> so
1: I ended up, you know, doing okay in the sport because of that. But um, eventually time took its toll and my body just. You know, it was broken and beaten. I mean, mm. you know how it is. You can make your body do anything at that point.
0: And- I'm wondering if uh, if that was exacerbated by hanging out with Pig up in Arcata, because I had a few tastes of that guy. And maybe we'll do a little segue on a, the, uh. the different genetics and the personalization of training. Because from um, yeah. listeners, I'm talking about Mike Pig, who was uh, reigned as the, the greatest... A short distance triathlete, but his training ethic was just extraordinary. And the volume that he put in, along with the other leaders in the sport that just were capable of going day after day after day. And um, a lot of us learned the hard way trying to keep up to that standard maybe wasn't ideal for our personalization.
1: Yeah, he he was just an incredible machine and durable, never got hurt. And you're right, the volume that he did, but he was also living you know, in Arcata, California, so 100 miles south of the Oregon border in California, and he was isolated. I mean, he was doing a huge volume of training in the rain, and that was unheard of. I mean, it yeah. was raining 35 inches a year, and you know what? If it wasn't raining, it was it was the densest fog that you've ever seen, and it felt like rain. Yeah, he was a a phenomenal talent, um, and. That was, you know, back then it wasn't about the precision, like things have changed. Like you mentioned about personalization back then it was just volume. It was, you got to do volume. And if you weren't training all week, flying on a Friday, then racing on a Saturday, there was a problem. And eventually though, the sport, I mean, it's, it's amazing that he was able to race every weekend and win. Um, the sport evolved to where you had to target races, and ultimately, that's what I had to do. I couldn't do what he did. I would break down. I had a much higher VO2 max than um, he did, but I wasn't durable, and that was the problem.
0: How long did you spend up there uh, training in his, his realm?
1: I was there... Uh, I got there in 1988, I think, and I stayed there about 18 months. Um, Enough to where I am very competent in riding a road bike on logging roads. Um, I'm. I don't care if it's raining or snowing. I know how to dress appropriately. I mean, it taught me a lot of of rules of engagement for bad environments. Um, Yeah, that was a really a a a great time. That was a great time. We had we had just the two of us just grinding away and. You know, when you are in an environment like that, the level of focus that you have of what you're what you're doing, um, it was a great moment in my life. Yeah, there was no distractions. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. But the, unfortunately, the volume took its toll. Um, I was I, I happened, and then you know, in 1989, I I I did Ironman Canada, got second place. I went to Ironman Kona. I went. I'm not sure what place I got there, uh, and then I went to Ironman Brazil and won, and then left the sport.
0: Wow. Um,
1: and I left because I couldn't. I couldn't get down a flight of stairs without like holding on. Um, I couldn't make my right side working with my left. Uh, I, I I had a 15 minutes just getting out of bed. The bottom of my feet like just were so crippled. And here I was. I was 28 years old.
0: <laughs> oh mercy! You're like but, an NFL guy, but no regret, right? Like,
1: I mean, you look yeah. back on it; it's not like there's regret. There's nothing but happiness. That's just part of the process. And I would happily have gone back and done it all over again, um, and if that was the price that you had to pay. But I ended up uh, in a um, a meeting over and fast forward till I was in my early 40s, and I was in a meeting in Santa Cruz, uh, California, when I was early 40s. And uh, so this was probably 2007 ish, Um, and I ran into uh, some of the original CrossFit women. They happened to own the original CrossFit gym, which was in SoCal Research Park in SoCal, California, called Santa Cruz Central. And this is the original mothership. And uh, in particular, uh, the person that I spoke to was Annie Sakamoto, one of the original three women in the sport, and an incredible person. And she took up an interest in what I was—I did in the sport of triathlons. Um, I, and I was interested in this. this I thought it was just the name of her business, CrossFit. I didn't know it was affiliated and franchised. I had no idea. It was an hour from my home. But she, she said to me right then and there, and I'll never forget it. She says, Chris, you've done a lot of volume in your day, but it's the same movements over and over again if you work on your neglected muscles, I think that you could become functional again. Mm. And from where I was sitting at that moment, because I was the guy that stood on those moving sidewalks and airports, that sounded really good to me. It resonated. Um, And so eventually I I took up the interest and took her up on her offer and I drove the hour from my house over the hill, the Santa Cruz and, and, uh, I didn't work out that day. Uh, that day, I, I, I didn't know what CrossFit was. And I was watching that nine o'clock class finish. And I had never seen I've never seen anything like that before. Um, I was watching... And I had been into a weight room before, but I never really lifted. I just knew things as heavy or light. Um, but I was watching women pick up what seemed like 500 pounds. They were picking up 45-pound rubber bumper plates. I didn't know what a barbell even weighed. It could have weighed a hundred pounds. So I end up, uh, I end up watching that class for my car and uh, they were also doing pull-ups, which I'd never done pull-ups before. And they weren't just doing one or two, they were doing you know, hundreds of them. And I, for the first time was scared and I was so scared that I, I ended up when they, the class ended and they, they, Debrief. They grouped together and debriefed. I took it as an opportunity to start my car and drive home. Um, and that was a, a, a really a difficult moment because here it was that my last time I actually worked out. I I won an Ironman, and now I'm so you know deep into my you know lack of fitness that I can't even go into a gym and train. And that that was humbling for me. Um, yeah, that was a bad moment. I but I I I. I I don't forget moments like that. You know, part of it is is that, you know, everybody at some point in time is afraid of of something in fitness, and if you've lost your fitness along the way, you know, just life, you know, has a way of doing that. I get it. I I I went there, Um, but I stayed with that gym for three years. My name's at the top of the board for the fastest mile there uh, ever, fastest eight hundred, and sure enough, it did. It it rehabilitated me, and you know, a lot of people they'll comment to me about CrossFit and why you all positive about it. Look, it gave me my health back. I mean, that's what it gave me. So am I going to pound the table? Of course I am because it's a fact. And the truth is, is that, you know, my numbers speak for themselves. And the only thing I did is added in some cross training. That's it. That's all I did. And now I'm 58 years old and you watch me run, you watch me move. And it's like I'm a kid. And the only thing I did was just add in a prescription three times per week.
0: So this Ironman Brazil, you somehow pulled off a, a fantastic victory, but, uh, be, behind the, the, the curtain of Oz, your body was pretty, uh, worn out. And so you, you actually walked away from the sport at, at the top after, after crossing the finish line. And that was, that was it, huh?
1: That was it. Yeah, that was, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I remember the race before that was, was in Kona and I had finished. And the next morning I was going down to get my bike. And, and I remember as I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I could do this seven days in a row. I could do this and make myself do it. Yet I was crippled. And that's the interesting thing is that be, here, what you're doing is, is that your brain is, you know, it's forcing it's you make your muscles train, go train, make yourself do it. And eventually, though, your body, your, it just breaks down, but the brain can still work the same way. I can make you do it. And, and that doesn't make it right. But that attitude is what was my attitude for at least the last two years mm. uh, while competing. And that that problem, you know, as far as you know, injury um, issues, you know, overuse issues, all that did is it just, you know, continued to build on it as I went through my 30s. Not, you know, doing any fitness. Um, matter of fact, you know, five six years ago, I got roped into doing that uh, triathlon in Pacific Grove, like in in mm-hmm. Carmel. Um, I think it's Tinley's actually, mm-hmm. um, there was like 2000 people and I had not swam in 18 years and uh, <laughs> yeah. And I got out of the water oh, first.
0: Yeah. Let me guess. <laughs> Let me guess people that those swimmers, man, it's, it's like a, it's like a gift, you know, the motor patterns and all that incredible 18 yep. years off and he comes out first. Yep. I went
1: and, uh, got a bike, you know, i got, I'm sure like you, I have a lot of bikes still and, and, uh. I I end up going out to the garage and I'm like both tires are blown. I hadn't been on in six years, <laughs> but I ended up. You know, I think I got second place, but in my age group. But it, the sport had evolved a lot. I am I was shocked at the evolution after that many years and and the quality of talent, uh, especially in Masters. It's Masters are intimidating because mm-hmm. they've got time and they've got a budget. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, it's those in between age groups where you're you're racing against the, the people with little kids, and uh, they have to go to work and squeeze their training in. And then when you get in the forty five and over, oh my gosh, yeah, they're they're miniature pros, you know. Yep, yep. So I stayed
1: at I stayed at uh, Santa Cruz Central for three years, and then I um,
0: and this way decided... you started that when you were already in your early forties. Yep. So there was a nice gap there where what then were did you doing? Nothing. You were just, nothing, not much. Right. Working, working. Were you in the fitness industry or were you doing something completely different? No, I mean,
1: so when I was in triathlons, I one of the sponsors I had was Apple Computer. Um, and Apple, the deal I had was I would get product, okay. but I would go in and I would talk about health and fitness. So I was required to go in and do every month um, because they were in Cupertino, very close to where I lived at the time to go in and give health and fitness type lectures, talks to uh, their employees. And, um, I, I was also part of a, a group where we, we would train others. We would do camps, but there was just no money in it. There was no opportunity. Um, and you know, I had a decent education, you know, my grades, I always did good in school. My grades were always pretty high and, and, um, yeah, it was time to, to get into investment banking and, and make some money. And so I went and quit triathlons where I was making a ton of money because of the structure of my deals. And my first job, I made $18,000, but didn't have any regret because, okay. you know, I, it was a, an opportunity. And, and in my opinion, if you're given an opportunity where there's growth, if you apply yourself and you're smart, and you're good at what you do, then I always believe that there's, you know, you have potential. And, and so, yeah, that's where the, the working fuse was lit. Um, and then, you know, we can just say that from that period, that's when life got in the way.
0: Hey, listeners, I discovered an awesome new electrolyte and triple enzyme powdered drink that's going to knock your socks off. It's called Bala Enzyme and it comes in a convenient little pouch of bright orange powder that you pour into water for the ultimate electrolyte and antioxidant drink. It's simple, convenient, and yes, the orange tint comes from a potent serving of turmeric along with a clean and diverse assortment of enzymes and electrolytes and a perfect taste that's not fake or too sweet. Bala was created by husband and wife doctors to help their patients recover from inflammation, improve hydration, speed up recovery, even relieve joint pain, improve digestion, and boost immunity. I love their incredible devotion to product quality. There's a lot of research behind it. And I just sprinkle this packet into ice water. And it's so easy to stay hydrated because you absolutely enjoy the taste of the drink. Get their convenient little packets. They even designed it with the, uh, the tear half torn so it's easy to open into the water. I love what they think of. And it comes in three exciting flavors, pineapple, lime, and berry. It's so potent, it might stain your fingers if you get it on your fingers. And yes, that's a good thing for a serving of turmeric that's that potent. It's also sugar-free, zero carb, and promoting of the three R's, rehydrate. Relieve and revive. Please visit balaenzyme.com, B-A-L-A-E-N-Z-Y-M-E. And of course there's a special deal for B Rad Podcast listeners. 30% off your first order. Just use the code B-R-A-D 30 at balaenzyme.com. <laughs> right. And then you're uh so you're you're hitting this. This wonderful CrossFit workout, you're reawakening, recapturing your health and your functional fitness. Mm -hmm. And that uh, went for a few years. And then uh, how did you get to eventually be immersed and have this be your life's work?
1: So I've always been fascinated by coaching. You know, I mean, we coached, the, the internet wasn't available back then and resources weren't available. So you learned a lot. From talking to other coaches and other athletes, I mean, and that's still a source of information of mine today. Is is other athletes and other coaches. Um, I ended up when I was when I was doing the sport of triathlons. I really enjoyed my programming piece. One of the things that I think back on those days, and I, I don't know if you do it, but I have a lot of regret. I could have been better because I just didn't know enough um, and. And in hindsight, I, 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 I do regret that. And so there's part of me that has always enjoyed coaching because I can not, I won't let them make those types of mistakes, essentially living through them. Um, And I, I enjoy that. I was, I was actually working out with and coaching a, a large, a fairly large group of people were starting to join me on the track at, uh, Los Altos, um, It was a community college there, Foothill Community College, up in Los Altos Hills, California. And uh, by this time, I had switched gyms up another one that was, you know, 15 minutes from the house. And it was owned by uh, this man, Jason Kalipa. He had won the CrossFit Games in its inaugural year in 2008. And it was now in 20, this was now 20. 12. And I actually, I ran up into him at his gym that day and we struck up a conversation and he, he heard what I was doing with some of the members of his gym at the track. And and it was just a simple conversation. But then he called me um, you know, a few weeks later and he, he asked me if I would be willing to coach him. So here's a guy that weighs 225 pounds. He's five foot nine. Um, he's incredibly strong, but he gets dead last in every endurance event that there is at the CrossFit games, which is their world championships his endurance is so bad that they did a 7k run one year and he he passes out before five, crossing the finish line in a 7k <laughs> okay. so he ends up asking uh, me if if i would be willing to help him and, and i' you know we, we always talk about coachable he said to me that i'll never forget it i want to know what you're doing but i'll never question it. I'll do every single thing that you ask. And so part of it was, is that when I came into the sport, there was a, and, and, the, and, and, and this was a problem for CrossFit, a, a huge negative, in my opinion, they had partnered up with somebody who came up with a gimmicky way to, to try and build endurance. It, you know, the, the, essentially what his whole methodology was. Short time domains, high intensity intervals, mm-hmm. um, and it was the high intensity speed based workouts that were your foundation of of aerobic fitness. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is two opposing pieces. It just didn't make sense.
0: Very controversial, it, even though it was very popular.
1: Right. It was very right. Well, it was very popular because let's face it, who doesn't want to do less and and be told that you're actually doing more?
0: Right. Right. Listeners, this is, um, the the concept was that you didn't have to waste your time running for hours. Uh, if you want to be a good marathoner, you could do, I'm I'm simplifying everything, but they were trying to, I guess, call it, you could consider it a hack where if you did enough box jumps or heavy squats, you would, you would be prepared for even these long distance endurance events. And it it didn't make sense to a lot of people in the endurance scene
1: right no it was yeah. highly criticized by endurance athletes and and matter of fact i was highly criticized by my peers in the endurance world for traitor you know going over to this <laughs> this evil empire and and but but that was opportunity because you know you always want some competition competition's always great but when your competition is missing the mark And they're blinded by what is truly going to deliver performance, that's an amazing thing. Because now essentially they've set up the entire marketplace. They believe they're a competitor, but they're really not. So, this Jason Kalipa here, this guy could put 400 pounds over his head on a Concept 2 rower. He could do 2000 meters on a rower in about 610, which is incredible. But he couldn't. When he had to support his body weight, he Mm. couldn't move at a moderate rate of speed for beyond two minutes. He Mm. was really a sprinter, an anaerobic, Mm -hmm. speed, strength, power type of an athlete. So what did I do? I gave him the principles that I know. I slowed him down. I developed a range of gears based upon a variety of distances or time domains that we call it in the sport of CrossFit. And he adapted. I actually had this guy do a 20-mile run in the Santa Cruz Mountains three weeks before the CrossFit Games, three weeks. I had him do Yasso's 800s. His also 800 was 257 pace, 257s for his Yasso's. So he adapted well. He went on to the CrossFit Games in 2013. So we worked together for about seven full months. Um, And in that time period, um, we also picked up two other athletes, buddies of his. Jason placed second overall. Um, a guy by the name of Garrett Fisher placed fifth, and a third guy, Neil Maddox, placed ninth. Oof. Athletes that I had worked with. And Jason, in the four endurance events that they had, um, he placed first in three of them and a third in the uh the second one. And it turned down, it turned around his entire career. Uh-huh. And um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I I did a podcast with him two days ago and I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity that he gave, but more importantly, he delivered. It is so rare that you give opportunity to somebody, and and you then put all this energy into it, and then there's a failure on the athlete's part. They just can't pull the trigger. Well, he did, and um, you know, it 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 started this process where. It gave me a shot. And, and what I did is I coached for three years, anybody and everybody for free. I had a full time job at a great mm-hmm. job in Silicon Valley. Um, but those three years of, of programming and I weekly programming, I'm talking weekly and everything I do is personalized around the results because I'm a math guy. So I was able to figure out the prescription for the recreational athlete. The fitness enthusiast, the one that doesn't want to run five days a week. Um, and I got real good at that because of the success I was having, but I was also doing it for free. And so, like at the CrossFit Games in 2015, I had 55 athletes that I programmed weekly workouts for 55. And so, you know, because of that exposure, um, and of course, knowing a little bit about math and, and my past you know, background in, in, you know, health and fitness. Um, It was, it was kind of a, a a good beginning.
0: I'm pleased to present B-Rad grass-fed whey protein isolate super fuel, the absolute highest quality, all natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts and build and maintain lean muscle mass the single most important attribute for aging gracefully our protein comes directly from small family farms in america's dairy land of wisconsin it's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility so please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective inferior less pure and often contain junk sweeteners especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free and make the SuperFuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good lesson for anyone who's dreaming of uh, an alternative career, right? That's aligned more with your passions or whatever. It's like, here you go with 55 athletes going to the CrossFit Games. That's probably a big blaring neon sign on the wall. Like, hey, Chris, maybe you should think about a career transition. But wow,
1: I can't believe you said that because that's yeah. when I quit. I quit yeah. a week before that. So we, yeah. you know, we were talking about risk. I'll tell you something. So I was, I was, um, I had a full time job. Um, I was, I was doing cable assemblies and power cords for a six hundred million dollar company out of London. We had, you know, 10, 12,000 people around the world, and I ran their western half of the U.S. Um, I was at a, uh, I had a conversation with a a colleague. He um, he's the CEO of HGST. Um, his name is Mike Cordano. And and one of the things that that he said to me during this this after a workout on the track that we did, he says, "You know, I know you think that you can switch from your day job to coaching, and you think that you could do it easily and switch back and forth. But you're hurting yourself. There's a lag there, and you're mm-hmm. never going to fully immerse yourself in either one way." And you need to pick. You have to pick your career on what you want to do. And uh, you know, one of the things that is important is that you need to listen to people. And here is a guy that's telling me, especially at that level, like some very important advice. And one of the things that he said was, "Is why is it that you don't want to go into coaching full time?" Hmm. And I told him right away, "I'm all because I'm not making any money." He says, "Yeah, but that's not the reason because the money will come." Mm. But why don't you want to do it? And I didn't know, like, I I didn't know the answer. And driving back home and thinking, and that night, of, you know, talking it through and thinking about it, and it and it made me reflective. When I was a kid, if something was bad and you had a job as a kid, what would you do? So you quit. Yeah. I'm out of here. I right? got experience
0: with that. Thank you. Yeah, you blow <laughs> town. Yeah,
1: two weeks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. It's like, yeah. I'm out of here. Even That's like the slightest, like, oh, he was condescending. That's why I quit. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you're just looking for an excuse. Yeah. And so I got to thinking about it. And, and the reason why I didn't want to quit is I was afraid.
0: Just you know, like the guy outside the Santa Cruz CrossFit watching the girls do pull-ups. Right. I was yeah.
1: fear that was really, because you know what? You got kids in college, you got debt. You know, you're you've spent 25 years developing a career. Now you are really good at it, and you're sitting in Silicon Valley. It's like it was the whole what you were supposed to do, and now all of a sudden it was just like the the realization that I'm making choices out of fear instead of passion and happiness. And I wrote my notice right there, and that was that was in July of 2015.
0: Wow, you young listeners, pay attention here because we're getting several nuances to the story that are really important. The first one is is that this momentum was driving you toward a new career, so it wasn't some whimsical, stupid thing that you're going to go surf the waves of Baja and and ditch out on your uh, your college tuition bills. Um, but it was, you know, the, the messages were lining up for you. But boy, to, yes. to put that courage into place and and to go for it, that's a big one. A lot of people are maybe listening that can. Reflect on times in their life where they they passed and they carried on forward in whatever direction. And boy, that's wonderful.
1: My monthly, my monthly, where I at that time expense was sixty over sixty five hundred a month, and I went from full time paying for that to zero to nothing. And so, but but part of it was the level, and that's where Mike Cordano was correct. When you do multiple things, you're watering them down. You're never going to achieve your potential because you've just got too much transition from mm. one to the next. I mean, for triathletes, think about it. You have three sports that you have to practice. Imagine if you only had to work on swimming. How great you would be! Yeah. And so each time you're transitioning, you know, you just water it down, and that was eye opening. I mean, I. I, I'm really grateful for certain conversations that I had and that I listened to them. And Mike wasn't telling me what to do; he knew mm-hmm. the answer. He was just making me think about it, and I'm 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 really I'm grateful for that. I I that's why when when people like give me opportunity, I'll treat it with the same level of respect and appreciation. I'll treat it like it's the first opportunity, even though let's say. You know, you've been doing you know certain appearances over and over year after year. I will treat it like the first, um, because I think that those things should be valued at the highest level. You know, opportunity because you don't know where it will go, and that's why I think about with Jason. I over delivered for him, but that's what you should do with an opportunity at that level. Mm -hmm. And um, I was given an opportunity to work with. You know a bunch of other athletes, and because of the approach that I have, um, it delivered some success. As a matter of fact, you know there's there's a list of 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 people that I put on the top spot at the podium. You know on the podium at the CrossFit Games. Um, I don't know how many that have been on the podium, but it's it's got to be sixty plus since 2013. Um, (sighs) Almost every champion since 2014. I've I've uh, worked with and, and helped. And yeah, I've carved out a nice the, 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 the fitness world is unique in the sense that there's no specialist. They don't want to specialize in anything. Mm-hmm. They want to do variety. Mm-hmm. So how do you you improve fitness in a person through personalization where they're not willing to commit? And that's a trick. Like how do you do that?
0: Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And... The Schwank Portable Infrared Grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouthwatering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K everything you cook faster juicier the speed is so important so convenient Uh, there's a drip tray on the bottom so you let the juices drip down i love the bison burger the venison burgers that's my game and then you can add a mixture of butter spices whatever you want into the tray pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K grills.com and up your home cooking game. This is a one of a kind grill. I have a great discount code for you. Of course, it's Brad 150 to save $150 off your purchase of a schwank grill. I want to tell you about WildHealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app, Wild Health is generously extending Brad podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com/brad or use the code BRAD20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com/brad.
1: And so that's what I've spent my time on, and and I'm I I can't tell you how happy I am that I get to do it full time. I mean, it's just and I, I and not only programming and coaching, but educating. I you know I, I mm-hmm. you know do a lot of educational content, whether it's with firefighters. I just did five seminars with North Metro Fire in Denver. Um, I've done you know Marines, um, Army, and and part of it is is how lucky is that that you can look at what they do, which Let's face it, a firefighter is a recreational athlete. A Marine is a recreational athlete. They want to do variety, but they need fitness. How do you create fitness in a Marine who wants to do variety?
0: Right. So can you describe what you brought into the CrossFit world that was lacking or what that missing piece was? You you talked about the, um, the, the widely criticized approach of, Uh, pretending that intensity could create endurance competency. And so what angle did you come in at?
1: Yeah. I mean, that was right. So the old way, it was like 20 second sprint, uh, 10 seconds of rest, eight times. There's your, there's your endurance workout and that never made sense. And so part was, is bringing in uh, this concept of pacing. That was number one, um, Crossfitters historically, what they they the prescription is high intensity, constantly varied mm. um, movements. That's what the whole you know sport is is built around. All right, so how do we 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 really create programming in, in in an environment where all they want to do after they hear the gun go off is go as hard as they possibly can, and then if they lean over because they've blown up. That's also a sign of courage. That's really a sign that you did it right. You're working hard. But that never made sense because what we're talking about is how can you maximize the amount of work you do in a certain amount of time, work capacity? And to me, you know, when I was told early on that I was doing high intensity and I was hunched over because I had misjudged my pace, it's like, you know, I know I'm blown up right now, but I could swear. I mean, they're telling me I'm doing high intensity, but I could swear I'm not even moving. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) It's about how much work can you get done in the time domain that you have? And CrossFit, the problem is, is that it's unknown and unknowable. You don't know what the event is. And so, what my feeling was is, all right, if we don't know the event, then I'm going to create a range of gears. Mm based upon an unknown event, meaning I'm going to train you for a marathon. I'm going to train you for a 25K. I'm going to train you for a 20K, a 15K, a 12K, a 10K, an 8K. I'm going to train you for a 5K. I'm going to train you for all of those speeds so we build up the muscle memory. And in order to do that, I have to practice that particular speed. So what I did is I started working with athletes where the event was in the beginning, I had 13 different events that I would target. So, everything from sprints all the way to a marathon, and we would practice those intensities. So, that's the event-based model. But then what I did is I took into account the strengths and weaknesses of the athlete, the individual, Mm -hmm. and I created an athlete-centered model around those 13 different events. So, I mean, imagine... You're training somebody for 13 different time domains or distances, but not just in running. You're doing that on a bike. You're doing it in rowers. You're doing swimming. You're doing any respiratory piece of, of equipment you're modifying for that model. And I immerse myself in it. And because I'm good in numbers, I can do 100 times the volume of someone who isn't. And now I could do, you know, 100,000 times the volume because everything gets automated um, if you figure out the right algorithms. And that was the hardest part, Brad, is that every piece of research is about specialists, people that just run, people that just ride. Hmm. What if you just want to go two days a week? What is the prescription?
0: Yeah.
1: What should it look like? And, What I found was is that they were delivering levels of fitness that had never been recorded before. Because CrossFit, CrossFit, what it was, was a sport for the people that weren't good at anything.
0: Like triathlon, I suppose. Kind of. You still have
1: to be a great runner to be good in triathlons, right? You know, you could take a guy that has a ratio of 50-50 mix of fast twitch fibers and slow twitch fibers and you know, I've seen them now where they could put five, 400 pounds over their head and have a VO2 max in the movement of running of 72 milliliters per kilogram per minute. I mean, the problem is they weigh 200 pounds. And so they're not going to run a 208 marathon. I mean, if they got down to 215, maybe, or 115, maybe, but they're they're bigger, you know, athletes. They're bigger, but they're not on the extremes. Right. They're not these incredible speed, strength, power, weightlifting type athletes. And they're not endurance specialists. They're recreational and they they sit in the middle. You know, that's where they are. And that to me is exciting that 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 population who loves fitness that was always told they're not good enough to play, they're now proving that they're delivering fitness that's never been seen before.
0: Oh, I I totally agree. I think these are the fittest athletes on earth. And my friend Dude Spellings, uh, he sent me a text after uh, one of the recent CrossFit games and he says, "Uh, Matt Frazier is the fittest human that's ever walked on the planet earth. Do you care to argue? And I'm like, man, that's a good take right there because you know, even the, uh, the elite professional sportsmen are extremely specialized. I, I look right. at it like an NBA basketball player with a wonderful range of that explosiveness, the skill and yep. the endurance to play the whole game and go through a hundred game season. Pretty fantastic. But what the CrossFit athletes do is just, it's completely mind boggling.
1: Yeah. It's extraordinary. I know. Look at Ash Neaton. I mean, Dick Tathlon, you know, it, it, once, an, once, a, once a, a sport gets defined like that, he knows his exact protocols. He knows the amount of time that he has between events. He knows everything. Imagine if they gave Ashton Eaton and said, you know surprise! what? Like, <laughs> you're going to do events. a head. <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the, it's the Tres Athlon and the three surprise events come at the end when they're tired. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's great.
1: I think where the sport, though, has evolved is, you know, with my influence, uh, it, it's it's recognizing the value of aerobic level training and and easier intensities, especially in the off season, of building a better foundation. Um, you know, focusing on that volume at these easier intensities to to build up your structure so that you could take on the rigors of the year, um, and and that, of course, got the notice of CrossFit HQ. Uh, I wasn't always in the good graces of CrossFit HQ uh, because I was so controversial. They did a lot of write-ups on me that that um, was really against what I was doing. But they also, years later, recognized that I'm changing the sport. And one of the 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 the, the big things that CrossFit, you know, and I, it, you got to give it to them, is they recognize that. And in they instead of, you know, were Being on the outside, they knocked on the door and they said, "Let's partner." And what we would like you to do is take your content and educate our community. Not tell them what to do; show them what you do. And so that's what I do: is I I created a course, and we've had four thousand plus people around the world go through it. I teach all of them live, Mm -hmm. and um, I share with them my entire methodology on how to build greatness if you just want to be recreational.
0: So it's clearly not a pure endurance experience that you're familiar with from your triathlon days. So how did you kind of leverage that experience, that knowledge of what it takes to go nine hours and race an Ironman (laughs) into, I mean, the people who are interested in CrossFit have extremely disparate goals from anyone who's trying to do an ultra or a half marathon or a running event or a biking event.
1: What the hardest part for me was how do I assess a recreational athlete? Like, how do you assess them? How do you know what their strengths and weaknesses are? And in the beginning, what I was doing was I was comparing results of of, of prior performances. So, I took um, in the beginning an anaerobic uh, distance, which was 400 meters, and I took their mile time, which was more aerobic. And what I did is I compared the meters per second between those two. And I created a slope or a fatigue factor, and I went to the running world, and the cycling world, the rowing world to look at like what their targets or rates of fatigue. Meaning, as you move into longer distances, how much do you slow down? Because Mm -hmm. ultimately, I believe that you can create a, a model that will indicate what does the prescription look like for this individual. Meaning, do they need more speed training or do they need more endurance training? And if I get a large enough sample size, I can also then equate it to the magnitude of your weakness. So what I started doing was just working with a lot of athletes. And that's one of the reasons why I did it for free. Matter of fact, the the, the head founder of CrossFit, who I've known since 2001, Greg Glassman, I asked him once, I said, why do you give workouts away for free on CrossFit.com? And he says, because it validated the methodology. Hmm. If I did it one by one and sold it, I wouldn't have people coming by the hundreds and the thousands to validate what I believe would work, and I'm like, oh, that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So quickly, I had well over five thousand people in a short amount of time that I've worked with, and I was collecting data. Now I had over twenty thousand results of non-specialists, and what I was able to learn was is what is a standard rate of fatigue for a non-runner, and I can now come up with a prescription that would resonate with an individual so that they would do the programming. And in the sport of CrossFit, one of the things that's re- that you realize right away is that in the gym, what they do is high-intensity work. So what I'm going to do is create the balance. I'm going to slow you down. Mm-hmm. And that combination has proved to be really valuable. Um, and It's no different than what I used to do. It's just I have to scale it back because they're recreational. They're not going to swim 20. You know, it's interesting. You want to know how much volume? Here's a quiz. (laughs) Let's see if you can guess right. An elite CrossFitter, someone who wants to podium at the CrossFit Games as a male or a female, I'm not talking about a teenager or a master's athlete. I'm talking about a male or a female, top three in the world. How much do you think that they swim in one workout on average? Is it a thousand meters, two thousand meters, or three thousand meters? Now, that's now think about it. I've said three thousand. I used to swim 10,000. Yeah. They swim two thousand at most. Most will swim about twelve hundred meters. Most is that, is that one that time an a week
0: session. Uh, why are they doing that?
1: Because swimming is not a huge part of their sport. So it's mm-hmm. not like they're doing 2.4 miles. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll do a 500 meter swim. So it's, it's, it's about like recognizing what you're training for and, and that, you know, even though they're professionals, like, you know, we were the, the fact is, is that you don't have unlimited time. You need to find the highest and best use of your time. And that's why personalization is the only way because you've got to be
0: efficient with what you do have. So this comparison, this rate of fatigue, attrition, or whatever you call it, between yep. the 400 and the mile, yep. um, you have some statistics, which me not being a math guy, I still can't figure out if I put the two times together how to calculate this, but you said the elites slow down around 6 to six to 8% and the, the recreational person will slow down around 20 to 25%. So can you explain how to make that calculation if my quarter time is is, is 60 and my mile time is six minutes, for example?
1: So you need to compare the time for both of the distances. And then what you're doing is is you're looking at the slope between those two. So essentially what you're trying, slope, think of it as this way, is, is slope would be for every doubling of the volume, what is your rate of slowing? So, if your rate of slowing is, let's say, a 20% slope, that means that you're slowing from 400 meters to 800 meters, 20%, and then 800 to 1,609 meters, another 20%. If the, the recreational runner is, let's say, in that 21, 22% range, and you test out to be at 28%, then your goal is to try and get down to 22. Well, You only have two choices. Should you work on your 400 time to get down there? Well, if you did, you'd have to slow your 400 time. (laughs) The only option, if you're above 22, is to work on your mile time. And specifically, it will tell you if your target is 22%. And let's just say that you're right now at 28%, it will tell you that your six minute mile will need to go down to 525 in order to get into that range. And based upon a population of 20 plus thousand recreational athletes, it's possible. Now, if you test out at 30% and I test out at 25%, you're gonna need to do more endurance work than I will because you're less, you're more out of balance than I am. So, what it is, is it's trying to create balance because remember, a recreational athlete, someone who wants to do a variety, they need to have equal ability in terms of their speed as well as their endurance. They're not like Usain Bolt where it's all 20 mm-hmm. seconds and under. Yeah.
0: He's a, right? he's over 30%, man, that poor guy, he can't even finish a mile. <laughs> doesn't matter I bet,
1: I bet he's like at 45%, you know, rate fifty, uh, uh, Deservedly yeah.
0: or it, by, by, by design. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's part of it is that what you want to do is you need to, to, because this whole day right now where we have this, this, You know, I call it programming, where where you're not present as a coach and someone's receiving a a PDF or an email and they're being tasked what to do. Well, if that individual isn't motivated, if they're always looking for somebody else, someone else has got their ear, then unfortunately, with that one step in, that one foot in, they're not going to be committed. So what we need to do is we need to prove to them their strengths and weaknesses so that they stay committed. You know, there's so many distractions now. And if you're, you're providing remote programming, you got to keep them interested. And so that Mm. testing is key. Personalization is key, but also explaining like the purpose, the why behind workouts. Um, You know, I brought up an interesting thing recently about, you know, like if you're going to ride a stationary bike and you're in this, this sport of fitness, then what I would like to see you do is, is match up with, the movement that's the closest to riding a bike, which is running. The problem is, is in CrossFit, they believe that a, a hard gear, you know, getting in the carne grande is, is the greatest thing. And it's like you're at 50 RPMs just grinding. What I want people to do is go out and do a test on the open road and find out how many steps per minute you take in running. And if you're taking 180 steps in a minute, then I, what I want you to ride at is a gear that you could pedal at 90 RPMs right one rpm is two steps and that way we have a better transference into both of those sports a more efficient use of your time um, and so just being smart about you know different types of things um, is is what I'm applying and and because of its it's having traction and and because it's delivering results you know if it wasn't delivering results it, 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 you know, I, I don't think that we'd be here.
0: So you're, you're training various gears rather than just sending CrossFit enthusiasts out for a jog a few times a week to build their endurance. I assume it's much more elaborate than that. It's very
1: much more elaborate. I mean, part is, is I, I think that, take, take you, if I gave you a workout and it was, it was 20 by 400 meters, it, you're not going to do it. <laughs> But if I gave you a workout where it, it had variety in there and it was keeping you mentally engaged and you were checking the boxes as you were moving down, um, then you, you you do it. And that's what I look at. I look at every workout that I write and I'm like, would I do that workout? And it's like, no, that's too boring for me. It would never keep me engaged. Part of it is, is that if you are providing programming remotely, you have to take into account the motivation. Of the individual. And is the workout going to motivate them to want to complete this entire list of things, or is it they're going to check out long before it? Do they even understand the purpose of it, the why behind it? And that's that's important. Like one of the things that that I have I've shared was is like we do a lot of work on an assault bike. Why is that so difficult of a piece of equipment? And it's Oof. because there's so many muscles that are being used. And I know a lot about physiology and but the, 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 what we have to realize is that because the numbers of muscles being used and the generation of that lactic acid and that acidity ultimately interfering with the muscles as it builds is the issue. Well, let me ask you something. If we're trying to maximize our ability, our overall fitness, and if we look at the assault bike as the piece of equipment, could we get more creative? In terms of the use of that piece of equipment to improve our overall fitness? And the answer is, of course, yes, we can. So here's the simple test. Imagine you're riding the assault bike and your arms are moving forward and back, and then your legs are pedaling. So imagine that level of fatigue with all those muscles. Now, there's also pegs that sit up by the flywheel on the front wheel by the fan. Stop pedaling. And what I want you to do is just an arms only workout, meaning the legs are no longer contributing any fatigue. Matter of fact, the legs are a potential source of removal of some of that uh, lactate acid, right? Could your arms do more work in that case if the legs aren't contributing any more fatigue? Well, of course they can. Likewise, what if the arms aren't doing any work and you're just pedaling? Could your legs do more work? Well, of course they could. So then the answer is train the arms separately train the legs separately. And then of course, this theory of specificity, which says, if you want to be good in the movement, you got to do the movement. So then you put it all together. So you need to do three different things.
0: Mm.
1: Likewise, if you're a non-runner, maybe you should do arms only on that assault bike and Mm. work on the upper body because the mechanics are very similar and work on your upper body's capacity. So- Part is is looking and 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 being smart, and I think that just comes back to, you know, my athletic background, and and that makes sense. I do that, and so long as you have the supporting evidence behind it, you know, the science, um, we're off to the races. And so that's that's what I do. Is now I I take my experience as an athlete, uh, I look at scientific literature, and I combine. Those with math equations,
0: and where does the recovery aspect come in, or the overtraining risk, which a lot of people criticize CrossFit? I know I've I've had a few pop offs myself, saying a lot of these people are seemingly going and performing at a high level too frequently, especially on, in the recreational realm. Yeah. Um, how does that factor into the programming?
1: That is a problem. <laughs> it's a problem because the problem is, is it's a non-sustainable model. You can't. Mm. Everybody loves high intensity. They love it because it will take anybody and improve them. So the best of the best, you put on a prescription of high intensity interval work, you're going to improve. You will. Now, the problem is, is that what do you do after that improvement begins to plateau because you have zero foundation, you have zero aerobic base, you cannot recover. You can't. And that's what I tell people is that, you know, think about this. Think about how many push-ups you can do unbroken and imagine your goal is to do 10 more. What is the reason now why you can't do 10 more? You can't just shove more in- mm. intensity in, can you? You eventually tap.
0: Mm.
1: What's preventing you? And it's always one of two things. It's either your strength, meaning you got to work on your one rep bench press, which if you can do a reasonable quantity, and I'm talking, let's say, over 20, um, then it's not your strength, what would it be? And for most, they'll just say, you know what? I just get tired. Mm-hmm. So how would you classify? What quality in a workout would you classify? I just get tired. Is it your volume? Is it your speed? Or is it your recovery? What if I improve your ability to clear fatigue at a faster rate? Would you be less tired when you got to your you know, old personal best of 20? Could you do more? Well, of course you could. So what you're telling me then is your recovery not your speed, your strength, your power, that's hindering your performance. So what should you work on? And that's the beauty of being a coach is that whatever stimulus we put on the body, we will create a good adaptation so long as they have good nutrition and good recovery. Meaning if I add in volume to your training diet every week, I can keep adding volume until your last logical step is an unbroken half marathon and you'll do a half marathon. That's how easy it is. Mm The recovery part, the fatigue is, is, is the trickiest for, for CrossFit athletes because what we're saying is, is that it's not your speed, it's not your volume, it is your recovery. What we need to do is practice on your ability to, to, to get rid of fatigue at a faster rate. And so look quickly at what the runners do out there. They don't just do a 100-meter sprint and sit in a chair. Because if you're always sitting in a chair, then you get good sitting in a chair. What they do is they do a 100 meter sprint and then they do a 300 meter jog. Mm. So, what CrossFitters really need to be doing is they need to be recognizing the value of the opposite side of the equation because there's a balance in all of us. The high intensity creates that fatigue, the low intensity clears the fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so, without the other side of the equation, you're eventually going to tap because you just can't shove more in. And that's changing the sport. That's what Fraser. that's what all of these champions have shown is that, you know what? How fast is your recovery speed? Like, for example, if I throttle you right now in a CrossFit workout, <laughs> how fast can you go out and jog and recover? Right. And think about this. Matt Frazier can go and do anything and do a 735 mile and get his heart rate, his breathing, his mechanics under control
0: and recover. With a freaking weight vest on, possibly too. <laughs> yeah. And very I miss well him explained. Being in the sport. That's that that's the essence of it right there, people. Um, I guess that's why you called it aerobic capacity.
1: Yeah. I mean that's part is is that we want to educate people so that they're aware of all the options. It's almost like what you want to do is open up the world. And, and let them see what they already know. They just didn't put it in that perspective before. And so I'll tell you something funny. So, you know, we all know about hypoxic breathing and the sport of swimming. And, and one of the things that I was over and working with surfers in North Shore Oahu once, and there was a guy over there and he's like, yeah, I'm really trying to determine if I can control if I black out, you know, by, by being under mm-hmm. in big waves. I'm like, well, how do you do that right now? And he says, "Well, you know, I kind of took a lead from the swimming world and hypoxic work." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, I use an assault bike. I do it dry land." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, I get two air mattresses and I put on both sides of the bike, and I put on a, you know, crash helmet." And I'm like, "What's the helmet for?" He said, "Well, I do 30 second sprint and then I hold my breath and then I wake up on one side or the other." And I'm like, oh, "Bro." <laughs> That's incredible. And you got that from swimmers. He's all, yes, I did. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we didn't teach you that. Don't think we're
0: practicing drowning. (laughs) You know, thank you.
1: But part is, is like, what you want to do is you want to look at your experiences, you know, listen to other conversations and what resonates, what makes sense. Like why on earth in the CrossFit sport in training, do they have you do this workout of the day in the gym, and at the end of it, everybody lays on the ground because they're so flooded with lactic acid? Mm. Why not do an active recovery afterwards? Because if, if you have completed the front part of that bell-shaped curve by creating, and now your body is in this beautiful position to create more adaptation, and you lay on the ground, and now you recover by mm. laying on the ground, why not do something and train the body on how to actively clear what you just put in. Essentially, what we're doing is we're getting you to do more work in the same amount of time, right? Because in the past, you just lay on the ground. And what I'm now telling you is slow down and recover. But what we're doing is we're actually teaching value by going slow. It's the other side of the equation. Hmm. So, it's it's, those simple solutions take a classic lift. It's a five by five back squat, five repetitions, right? Five rounds, 25 total lifts because the weight is the priority and the number of reps is the priority. You'll take anywhere from three to five minutes of rest Hmm. and you sit in a chair and do nothing because the emphasis isn't the recovery. But what if you just rode 500 meters in three minutes, which is a snail's pace, Mm. and then you regroup, you take another 30 seconds, another minute, and then you go for it and make your lift. Now, you may not because of the amount of work that is, even though it's slow, you might not be able to do the lift, but that will certainly challenge you in the next workout because you're you're doing 2,500 meters in the same amount of time that it took you last time. You're doing more work in the same amount of time. And let's face it, as a coach, that's all you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So long as they come back, so long as they stay in the game, if I can get you to do more work in that same amount of time, then I know I'm going to make you better.
0: Love it. Chris Hinshaw killing it for us. clearing, Clarifying all this, all this confusion. Great stuff. Uh, tell us about your programming, where we can connect with you, and all that good stuff.
1: So the best place is aerobiccapacity.com. Uh, there's different types of programming. Um, Instagram, same thing, aerobic capacity. There's workouts. I, I really genuinely, and I'm sincere about it. If I know something, I share it. Um, anybody who's gone to my seminars, if I have programs that I've written, I give them to them. Uh, one of the things that I, I really believe is that if I share everything that I know, that, that, that I know works, then it keeps me hunting for the next, and that's why I like having these conversations and and you know having a relationship with you is like you're a wealth of knowledge and I want to foster relationships like this because it's steering you into a place where you've not been before and there's opportunity there for me to learn you know like listening to your podcasts and like. Just your perspective, you know, at Mark's Daily Apple. I mean, part is, is that there's some creativity there, but is it a fit? Is it a fit? And so that's that's my my interest. But what I do is I take those pieces and I share it with my community, and and that's always been my approach. I never hold back. Same thing like that algorithm that I mentioned. I I, I share that and I give that away because you know that's that should be what you do. don't don't think that's your intellectual property.
0: Yes. Can we go on the website and get those calculations? Cause I'm, I'm still struggling how to give us one uh, math problem example. So if the, if the person's running a 60 second quarter and a six minute mile, what is that rate of attrition? So what is your number? So let's say the quarter is in 60 seconds, nice round number. And then the miles in six minutes or that's 130 per quarter. Yeah. So Suspense. if you pick suspenseful music people do dum dum dum. Well,
1: dun. so that would be a that would be a fatigue factor of 28.7. So that's oh. what Rich, Rich oh. was. So okay. your target would be a 525 mile. That's what your target would be. Do you want me? You know what I can do is I'll send you, I'm gonna send you a Google Doc mm. and you could share it with your listeners. Um And what it will be is this uh, concept of a running fatigue factor and between 21 and 22%. And they could just plug in their own 400 time and their mile time. And what it will do is calculate their own fatigue factor uh, and make recommendations on whether or not do you need to work on your mile or do you need to work on your 400? And then if you do... What would be your target times for either one of those? I'll send that to you. Okay. And you could share. Oh,
0: beautiful. Love lot yeah. people let's go, let's go plug in and get, put up some numbers. If you don't have, uh, <laughs> if you don't have values right now, we got to go out and do a 400 time trial and later a mile time trial. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. I'll
1: Pretty send simple. that to you.
0: Yep. All right. Chris Hinshaw yep. people killing it. Thank you everyone for listening. Dun, 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 dun. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about an interesting product from paleo Valley apple cider vinegar capsules this product allows you to enjoy all the healing properties of apple cider vinegar in your daily diet without the hassle or the burning that comes when you try to swallow it directly and the healing properties are many they're well validated you've probably heard how apple cider vinegar helps with blood glucose control breaking down amino acids for better absorption and general digestive health and nutrient assimilation The Paleo Valley Apple Cider Vinegar Complex adds other healing spices like turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and lemon for more digestive health. As a whole, this formulation has a lot of research-backed validation that you'll improve blood pressure, cardiovascular health, and disease prevention, and profound benefits for insulin sensitivity, satiety and hunger management, glucose regulation, and fat metabolism. The apple cider vinegar complex is a great idea to take when you're traveling and eating different foods, giving your digestive system the boost it needs. Everything in the bottle is organic, and the formula has been carefully fermented into potent acetic acid, which confers the aforementioned health benefits. Why don't you try some? Go to paleovalley.com and take that 15% discount with the code BRAD15.